From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Vayelech and Shabbat Shuvah. This week, Yiska Smith discusses Vayelech and Shabbat Shuvah. Yiska Smith is an adjunct member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Yiska Smith. This session addresses the spiritual practice of Teshuvah. While the Rambam enumerates in Hilchot Teshuvah the several halachic legal steps necessary to fulfill the act of Teshuvah, I will be sharing insights that address the consciousness shift inherent in the Teshuvah journey, the spiritual practice of Teshuvah, an embodied inner spiritual practice. I am referring to the practice when an individual intentionally directs one's thoughts, speech, and deeds in a way that allows for an encounter with the divine within oneself, one's spiritual center. This practice is unique to each individual, being that it is a movement towards one's authentic, unique self, to that space in each of us, created B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God, that special energy that the Creator gifted to each human being that we refer to as our soul. In other words, this practice reclaims, renews, and moves us closer to an awareness that defines us as godly, a moment deeply implanted within us at conception. I will begin with a story, a fascinating story. In 1903, Rabbi Shalom Dovber Schneerson of Lubavitch, known as the Rebbe Rashab, went to meet Sigmund Freud in Vienna when he was 42 years old. They met on several occasions between January and April. Much of what they discussed centered around the relationship or lack thereof, between the mind, one's thoughts, and the heart, one's feelings. The Rebbe Rashab was suffering from extreme exhaustion and was under great pressure, both internally and externally. He sensed that he needed to be more and to do more, admitting to his wife that he felt terribly deficient in his emotional attributes, which made it difficult for him to study. He felt that his love and awe of God and for his fellow human being was not as it should be. This is what brought him to Freud. He traveled to Vienna seeking help for himself. Freud noticed that the Rebbe was very weak, frail, and tired. Clearly, Freud needed to know what the Rebbe did, how many hours he worked, and what his daily schedule was like. The Rebbe replied that he was a bridge builder. Freud was very surprised at his answer. The Rebbe's frail condition did not exemplify the persona of the typical young, brawny, and robust construction worker. He asked the Rebbe, So please tell me, what kind of bridges do you build? The Rebbe replied, I build bridges between the mind and the heart. 
Freud was intrigued by this answer and asked, how do you do this? Are not the head and heart two continents completely separated? Does not a great sea divide them? Is it really possible to do that? The Rebbe replied, the task is to build a bridge that will span these two continents, or at least to connect them so that the light of the mind should reach the heart as well, and then the heart should reach the mind as well. I must point out, he continued, that for Hasidim, from birth, the matter of the mind and the matter of the heart are both necessary for study, for devotion, and for self-refinement. As the Rebbe of my Hasidim, now you can understand why I am so tired. This is based on the private diaries of the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, published in 1997, and it was brought to light in an article, Sigmund Freud and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, by Stanley Schneider and Joseph H. Burke, Burke in Psychoanalytic Review, February 2000, Volume 87, Number 1. What the Rebbe is teaching us here is that when engaging in the inner work of Teshuvah, we need to bridge the abyss between the seat of logic in our minds and the seat of emotion in our hearts. It becomes becomes highly problematic to experience the sense of being created in the image of the Creator if the mind and the heart, both equal manifestations of the Creator, are not aligned with each other. I can recall all too vividly the inner conflict I experienced so much of my life when my mind and heart seemed to be at war with each other, each pulling me in opposite directions. I ask you all of you, have you ever, have you as well ever experienced this? We need to both understand and feel and traverse back and forth on the bridge between these two centers, these two continents, with some sense of ease and softness and compassion. This is the form of teshuvah that brings with it inner quietude and harmony. Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Adi discusses in his magnum opus Tanya, published in 1796, the existence of two souls, two centers of consciousness in each person. One soul, referred to as the animal soul, nefesh behemit, is the source of energy we human beings have in common with all of the living creatures, the need and innate drive to survive, eat and drink, procreate, eliminate waste, and, and provide shelter, all derived from this soul. The second soul, referred to as the godly soul, Nefesh is a part of God from above, Mamash. It's a quote from Eo from the book of Job 31.2, Chelek Eloka Mima'al. And the Balatanya adds, Mamash. This soul is the very breath of life, the nishmat chayim that Hashem blew into Adam's nostrils, which then bestowed upon him a life distinct from all other creations. While all creation possesses within it a spark and its of the divine creator, 
We human beings retain the privilege of being created in the very image, mamash b'tselem, of the Creator. Hence, our essential nature is to be godly. This indicates that the divine being that one returns to dwells within each and every one of us. And we have been created in such a way that innately we possess this drive to return to it in one way or another. In the ever-constant attempt to survive, grow, and be in this world, we may easily focus on nurturing and paying heed to the constant demands and needs of the animal soul, just as a farmer is duty-bound to care for his livestock. To such an extent, though, that we may forget that our godly soul needs tending to as well, and perhaps even more, to such an extent that we may not even feel connected anymore to our godly nature, to such an extent that we may no longer, God forbid, even believe it is there. So tending to the animal drives and animal urges within us as the priority in our daily lives comes with a high price. The deprivation of nurturing and providing for the needs of our godly soul. Teshuvah in this sense is both a turning and returning, turning our focus and intentions to our essence and returning to that part of ourselves that is eternal and not temporal within the finite limitations of time and place. We therefore turn and return to the very source of our being distinctly human, in particular, in particular, being distinctly Jewish, by identifying our essence as that of being special and unique, as being kadosh, as being sacred, as part of Hashem, as spiritual, and then deciding to manifest that in thought, speech, and deed, in effect, we are cultivating the spiritual practice of Teshuvah. And to our relief, this never has to be at the cost of depriving the animal within us, its needs to survive and thrive in the world as other animals do. But rather we live as holy animals and not wild animals. Rav Avraham Yitzhak HaKohen Kuk discusses in his classic, Orota Teshuvah, three stages in one's Teshuvah journey. And these are not meant, by the way, to be understood linear. We go back, we go forward, but one leads to the next. So we can go to the next, take a step back, go forward. There is indeed a process, a journey, and movement towards returning to one's inner true being in the most visceral way possible. The first step is called, as referred to as Teshuvah Tevi'it, from Teva, which means nature. It's where the individual senses in both one's own body and in one's thought and feelings that something is not right. Something is just not right. Rav Cook uses the phrase to describe this as Dildul HaChayim, the impoverishment of one's life force, a state of both physical and or spiritual atrophy, 
One's actual physical health, as well as spiritual health, may be compromised. This realization leads the person to want to restore well-being to oneself and to return to a healthier state. Hence, Rav Kook refers to this as Tshuvatevi'it Gufanit, which is the physical, the body, and Tshuvatevi'it Nafshit, matters of the soul, matters of one's spirit. There is a direct connection here between the health of the body and the health of the soul. This leads the individual to the next stage, Tshuva Emunit, from the word Emunah, belief having faith, having trust. When one's capacity to move ahead or to return ahead is based on believing in the Torah-based sources as our guide and road signs along the Teshuvah journey. As an example, we internalize the belief, or we may internalize the belief, that the Torah promises forgiveness for those who seek it both within the individual and within the community and nation of Israel. Forgiveness in this sense, as expressed by the prophet, the Navi Hoshea, in the Haftarah on the Shabbat preceding Yom Kippur, in chapter 14, verses 2 through 10, is more akin to support and encouragement for example, we read in the second pasuk in verse 2, Return Israel to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Shuva Yisrael ad Hashem ba'avonecha. The iniquity, the avon that the prophet describes that we have stumbled upon. Kachashalta. We have stumbled upon from Rav Cook's teachings is living a life that does not embrace the purpose for which the Torah claims we have been created. And it's this very point that causes the ever sense of external and internal discomfort and disconnect. In other words, the ever-constant state of the spiritual existential threat. Following the practice of returning to our original purpose for which we have been created, verse 5, a few verses later, delightfully informs what awaits us. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. This is what awaits us. Healing. Love. Hence, the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, traditionally many refer to as Shabbat Shuvah, the Shabbat of return. This step in the Teshuvah process moves the individual to a space where one can become inspired by the timeless wisdom found in in our own Torah-based sources. The third step in this process is actually living in a space of consciousness that Rav Cook refers to as Teshuva Sikhlit. Here the word Sikhlit is not so much referring to logic. It refers more to the mindset, more to the consciousness of Teshuva. At this point, one's very Teshuva 
brings the person to actually transform one's own sins, avonot, mistakes, distractions, actually into one's merits. This is when our mistakes and misprioritizing causes one to sense such a painful state of distance from one's own inner self that this very distance from our spiritual center propels the person to return. This teshuva is what, according to Rav Cook, everyone's eyes look towards. How can I look back and rectify and heal and somehow come to terms with my past? He understood how much we want to resolve our past and make it right within our deeper internal selves. This creates, however, a profound consciousness shift. This is mamash, a paradigm shift. This type of teshuvah defines a way of living, of being. It brings honor to our life journey with the ups and downs, with the mistakes, with the right decisions. We now become faithful, ne'aman, to the image of God, in whom we have been created, with honesty, in truth, with dignity, self-respect, with kavod, with honor, as we move towards a godly life, a life of the Spirit, cultivating vulnerability and transparency. The Baal Shem Tov taught that if only we would remember, not so much believe, or understand, or conclude, which is more of a cerebral uh, mechanism or consequence. But if we would remember, if we would only sense emotionally that Hashem, that God, that the Divine Presence is always present, then all the facades of perceived concealment and distance would rapidly disappear would melt right before us, and we would not feel lonely. Indeed, we would sense in a visceral, imminent, in the most visceral and imminent way, the divine presence. In this vein, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov taught that whenever you sincerely cry out or cry in to God, saying, Aye, 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 where are you? God, where are you? It's because you feel lonely. He teaches, surely you are here. You must be here. Please do not conceal yourself from me anymore. I am seeking an encounter, panim lefanim, face to face with you, God. This distance surely causes pain. It causes sorrow, perhaps even regret. This concealment signals to us, communicates to us, that there are parts of ourselves that require healing as a condition to once again sensing closeness with the Divine Presence. Indeed, Chavra, what's so important here, the very calling out or, or calling in brings with it a sense of closeness. Because we call out or call in because we believe deep inside, deep, deep inside in our very inner being. We believe we trust that there will be a response. This is why we call out. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence Rabbi Nachman teaches, will reveal herself to you 
even in this most difficult and lonely place that you find yourself in, Hashem will manifest closeness to you. Often when we are in the midst of our teshuva journey, as we become so focused outwardly on righting that which was wrong, we forget to seek the closeness of Hashem. We must remember, Chavra, to mamash, to really, truly ask of Hashem to sense closeness. The, the kirvut, lehitkarev. We need to invite Hashem to be close to us as we are mindful to be close to Him, her. A deeper dimension of teshuvah is to trust, in fact, that Hashem is nearby. To really believe this, to really feel this, right there in the midst of the felt concealment. We find ourselves called upon to have faith, to have trust, that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, is always nearby, even when she seems concealed and distant. As I reflect on my own teshuva practice, I invite, I invite Chavar, all of you to do the same. I realize that I was and am inherently seeking a visceral experience with my own soul, a subjective, a felt and embodied experience with my own spiritual center. Ironically, for many years, and again, many of you may be able to relate to this, many of you, yes, I found myself searching outside of myself by adopting others' practices. As good as they may be, as wonderful as they may be, they're not mine. But I was searching outside of myself by adopting others' practices to experience an inherent closeness to the Shekhinah, the divine presence within me. I've come to learn that at times like this, I can always turn inwardly to Hashem to ask for help, for guidance, and for inspiration, so as not to fall into despair. I invite you, I warmly invite you, I softly invite you to do the same. The Piyasetzna Rebbe provides for us in Derech HaMelech an insight with deep and moving implications and inspiration. As taught by one of my teachers in meditative practice in the Piyasetzna's teachings, Rav James Jacobson Mizels, quote, the Piyasetzna Rebbe teaches that Teshuvah, transformation, as taught by the Midrash, the Piyasesna quotes in Derech HaMelech, precedes even creation itself. For how could creation be possible if change was not already present? For that reason, the Piyasesna teaches us, we are never truly stuck. We are never lost. We are never condemned to repeat our old patterns. Rather, change is our nature, and transformation is always possible. May we rediscover this year our faith in our own ability to transform, to return to who we truly are, and to live out 
our genuine selves in the world. I hope, however, that these teachings, with the accompanying spiritual practice or spiritual practices, awaken all of us to cultivate the practice of returning to the place from where we were conceived, to that spark, to that nitsots within each of us that is pure and loving. We say every morning, Elokain Tahorahi. God, my God, the soul that you have given me is pure. This is our godly soul to the image of the Creator in whom we have been created. As we do, it is important to forgive ourselves oh, for all those times we were distracted and made decisions that distanced us from our authentic being. While forgiving ourselves may seem like an insurmountable obstacle at times, however, we can forgive ourselves. We must forgive ourselves. And as we do, then forgiving others comes natural. The Teshuvah journey enables one to experience those special sacred moments of intimacy, of closeness, spiritual intimacy, spiritual closeness with the divine, with oneself, with fellow Jews, and with all humankind, and all of creation. May we welcome each other home, to be at home with oneself, and may we embrace each other's journeys with compassion, encouragement, and open arms. Kain Yehirat Son, may it be your will. Thank you, Yiska. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. <laughs>